So we're going to, this is, this is the conclusion basically to last week's sermon that I cut out because I wanted to make sure we ended a little bit early since it was Easter. So I didn't get to kind of really make the big punch that I was wanting to make, so I need to make it tonight. But you remember we were talking about trees, all the big trees, the long trees that lived thousands of years. Does anyone remember us talking about the clonal colony trees? What was the clonal colony tree? Does anyone remember? Yeah, so the, the root system spreads and trees pop up through the roots but all of the trees in that, that come up from that root system are identical to the, uh, to the original tree. So technically, it's all one tree because it's genetically identical to every other tree that comes up because of the root system. So keep that picture in mind as we, as we talk about this passage. John chapter 15, one of my favorites in all of Scripture, one of my favorite teachings we're trying to grow grapes at home, so it's been really interesting to learn a little bit about grapes and fruit trees and then apply that to Jesus' teaching on the vine and just it kind of makes the Bible come to life. So if you haven't grown any fruit trees or vines of, uh, like a grapevine, I encourage you to give it a shot. It's fun. So John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. If you can, highlight or underline that word true. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Pay attention to that. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What makes us clean is receiving Jesus' word, receiving Jesus' teaching. And you can find that, that confirmed elsewhere in Scripture by Paul's teachings. Salvation comes by faith alone hearing the gospel, putting our faith in Jesus Christ as a result of hearing the gospel is how we begin our, our faith journey, hearing the story that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended back up to the Father. It's a good, so I just remembered, thanks, thanks to the gospel, I remembered. Um, we're starting Pray Through Pentecost tomorrow. So we've done this in the first couple years that we were here. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to do it again this year. And it's based on the idea that after Jesus' resurrection, he told the disciples to wait and pray until I send the helper. And so the disciples, the one, about 120 people that were still following Jesus after his resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection, they stayed together for the, essentially the 50 days between Easter and what we call 
Pentecost Sunday. And if you remember how the story goes in Acts chapter 2, they were all gathered together in the upper room, and then the Holy Spirit came on them while they were praying, and then they all spoke in the language of all the people who were gathered around outside the upper room, and everyone in the upper room, everyone outside the upper room heard the people in the upper room telling about God in their own language. So those 50 days through uh, from Easter until what we call Pentecost Sunday are, are, is a season of prayer in church history. So we're going we're gonna to start praying uh, for this season starting tomorrow. So on Workplace, I'll have a, a focus for us every single day as we pray. So make sure you check that out in the morning. So you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, you've probably studied this passage before, so you know this. In case you don't, there's a key word that you want to highlight from verse 4 all the way through verse 16. It's the word remain. Some of your translations may say abide. Some may say dwell. The, the most literal translation is, is dwell in, like living in a house. So the word is referencing to living inside of something. So some of the NIV says live in me in, in parts of uh, the New Testament. Here it says remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So for the first four, four verses talking about remaining in me, Jesus is focusing on the idea of remaining in him. And then he's now transitioning to talking about remaining in his love. And he's going to explain what he means by that. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Underline or highlight that word complete. It's your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is John 15 which comes after John 13. John 13 is where Jesus started what is called the Upper Room Discourse. So 13, 14, 15, 16, 
and, and 17 are all basically within the same two-hour teaching of Jesus or so. So Jesus started with John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, where he says, um, love one another as I have loved you. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And now, a little bit later in his teaching, he's coming back to that idea. The, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So this illustration is his illustration, his teaching tool, his teaching device to his disciples to help them learn and understand what it means to love and be in his love and then to let God's love flow through them like a vine. You are my friends if you do what I command, verse 14, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That word last, they translated last in the NIV. It's actually remain, abide. So it's the same word that we've been paying attention to. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. And so that whatever you ask in my name, I'd underline that, my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Henry, can you go pull the main, the blue fader down just a little bit so it's not squealing? The far right fader, the blue one, just like a little tiny hair. Hear it? That's a little better. Thank you. <laughs> all right. What does all of this mean? Let's dig into it. So Jesus said, I am the true vine, you are the branches. The one who dwells in me and I in him bears much fruit. Think of a grapevine. That's what Jesus wanted you to think of when you think about this, this teaching. If you don't know a grapevine or how a grapevine works, I can explain it to you really quickly. Grapevines have what, what is basically a trunk. And if you go look, at, you know, if you look at through some of the vineyards in the area, we have a lot of those now, you'll see a, big, a great big trunk that comes up and then usually splits off to the sides. And in a, in a professional vineyard, that's what they'll cut everything back to every single year. At the end of every single year, it'll, you'll just see this T-shaped trunk that's, that's growing up, and it's attached to a trellis usually. And, and, but the vine, it's, the trunk itself, only is like three feet in diameter. So that's, that's what Jesus would be calling the vine, right? That's, that's the true vine. And so that's what they cut back to. That's the thing that shoots out all of, this, all of the other things we think of as vines 
for the season, right? So you'll see that there'll be nothing on there, and then these vines just take off growing, and they're vigorous. I mean, they just, they grow like 12, 15 feet in one season, and they'll shoot out from the trunk and go all the way down this trellis, and, and then they'll often cut it off so that it stops at some point, and then it diverts the energy from producing more vine into producing bigger and better grapes. So Jesus is the true vine. He's this trunk that comes up and branches out. We are the branches. We're the parts that come off of the vine and then shoot off and go out on the trellis that bear fruit. Fruit does not grow on the trunk. Fruit doesn't grow on what Jesus is calling the vine. It grows on the branches. So if you're going to have fruit, you have to have both the trunk of the vine and the branches that come off of the trunk to produce fruit. So Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine, you are the branches. The one who dwells in me and I in him bears much fruit. The Father is the gardener. God is the master gardener, and he knows how the, how the grapevine should grow. He, he knows how everything is supposed to work, right? And he can look at a branch, and he can see, oh, this, this one is growing in a good direction, and so I'm going to let this one grow, and I'm going to cut it off at this point. But then there might be a smaller branch that's growing inside, and it's not going to amount to anything. And so you come in and you cut that off so that it doesn't suck up the nutrients from the rest of the vine and away from the branches that are going to produce fruit. So God comes in and he cuts off the branches that are not going to bear fruit. But then every branch that, he, that is going to bear fruit, he prunes. He cuts it back so that it will bear fruit and be even more fruitful. This is a mistake that a lot of gardeners make. You know, tomatoes are actually a vine. You can learn, you can learn about this principle by growing and pruning tomatoes. So a tomato will grow in the same way, and if you just let a tomato plant grow, it's called an indeterminate tomato plant that'll just keep growing and growing and growing indefinitely throughout the course of the season. But if you don't prune it, It'll just kind of grow out in this big blob, and you might get fruit, you might get tomatoes, but you don't get the same big, beautiful, juicy tomatoes as if you prune it. So as the branch grows up, you'll have, you'll, you know how tomatoes grow, right? You've got the, brand, the, the stalk that goes up, and then you have this branch that comes out. And then in this little nook between the stalk and the branch, something comes up called a sucker. Has anyone heard that term before, sucker? Okay, so you've got a sucker. So you've got the, the stalk going up here and a branch coming out. And right here in this little intersection between the two, you'll see just a little teeny tiny leaf that's starting to grow. And as it's growing, you can just reach in with your fingers and just pinch it off. And when it's really small, you just pinch it off. It doesn't, it doesn't harm it at all. If you don't pinch it, you come back in a week or two, and that little teeny tiny leaf has grown out and is trying to grow an entirely separate tomato plant. So if you, don't, if you don't cut those suckers off, then you have all these suckers growing off the main stalk, and instead of the energy of the plant going into producing the fruit of the tomatoes, the energy of the plant is going into producing more branches and more trees, and you get very little fruit that way. 
So you can, you can put this into practice and experience it for yourself. So when you prune it, the, the branches, it feels counterproductive because you might even cut off, when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm pruning our tomato plants, I'll even cut off branches that have fruit on them. And the kids or Becky will come behind me and say, but it's got a tomato on it. It's, it's, you just cut off a tomato. It's not going to get ripe now. And I, yeah, I explained, but yeah, if we, if we leave that on there, this, these tomatoes are all going to be small and it's going to suck up everything from the rest of the plant and the tomatoes that we want to grow big and beautiful won't. God is the master gardener when it comes to fruitfulness. And he knows what needs to be pruned in our lives. Oftentimes, it feels like a good thing that God is cutting out of our life. That's one of the things we've talked about over the years is that sometimes God has to cut off something that looks good. It looks like it's producing fruit. Uh, it, looks like, it looks like it's going to grow a lot of fruit over the years. But the master gardener can see the whole thing and see how the plant needs to grow and where it needs to go. And so he says, well, if we let this grow, it's going to take nutrients away from that branch and that branch won't produce the fruit, and that's the one that I really want to produce the fruit. So sometimes God has to cut off good things to give us his things, his better things. So he's the master gardener. He is the true vine. He's the one true vine. You can be grafted into a lot of different plants, if you're, if you're a grape, you can, graft, you can graft different kinds of grapes onto different kinds of grapes, just like you can graft different kinds of apples onto different kinds of apples. But the one true vine is Jesus. True. It's an important word. Jesus says, I am the true vine. That word, true, that I told you to underline or highlight, it means that which, not only, which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. In every respect, corresponding to the idea signified by the name, real true, genuine. So when it says, when it's talking about the name, it's talking about the name of God or my name as Jesus says later. It says, and so whatever you ask in my name, Jesus' name, God's name is the true name. So if we are going to be producing the fruit of the kingdom of God, we have to be in the true vine and then the life of the true vine is flowing through us in the vine. Does that sound familiar? I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. So it's what we talked about last week with God's love, that God's, God gives us his love, and his love then flows through us and as his love flows through us and we love one another with the love of God, it is God's love that's flowing among us, not our own love.
It also sounds a lot like clonal colony trees. Another thing that happens with grapes, so if you have a vine, and it, you, this vine, you know, and you just got it that's, that's up and it's producing a lot of branches and the branches might grow off and, and just shoot out in the yard like ours does because I don't have a trellis built for it yet. And so I have to mow over them a lot of the time. But there's a vine that kind of just worked its way along the retaining wall behind our house. And, and you know what happened when the vine was there in the dirt? It put down roots. So this, so this grape plant that grew, it grew this vine out and then it put down roots. So I have a secondary, a second plant that I've got off in a wheelbarrow that I'm going to grow up and plant somewhere else. It's an exact replica, clonal, you know, it's a clone of the same grape plant that we have. It'll be identical to the one that we already had. So we become like Christ when God's love is flowing through us and we become more and more in the image of Christ. I'll get to that in just a, in a minute. Jesus is the exact representation of the name of God himself. So in the Old Testament, God would speak of himself as Yahweh, right? And it's this name that meant I am. And it's a God who always is. There has never been a moment where God wasn't. There will never be a moment where God isn't. God always is. He forever is God. And that name Yahweh means I am. Well, when Jesus comes to earth, he then becomes the exact representation of that name, the representation of I am. And he dwelled among us, right? He, the presence of God in Christ Jesus dwelled among the people. And then after he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he ascended back to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit, then the presence of God, Yahweh, I am, now dwells in his chosen people, which is anyone who puts their faith in Christ. So we, through being grafted into, like we talked about last week with Paul, being grafted into the vine, now it's the life of the vine that flows through us and produces fruit in our lives because we dwell, we abide, we reside in Christ. And this sounds pretty good, right? So you might be asking, how do we, how do we remain? How do we abide? How do we dwell? I want to know, know how to dwell in Christ. I want, I want his love to flow through me. I, I, want to, I want to abide in the vine, and I want to produce fruit, the fruit of the kingdom of God. I, I want to see that. So how do we do it? Well, Jesus tells us, thankfully. We don't have to guess. He says, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. This I command you to love one another. Years ago when I was studying through this passage and I, I came to that, that phrase, if, if you keep my commandments, if you obey my commandments, you will re remain in my love. For whatever reason, my mind didn't go to the commandment that he had just taught in the upper room where he said to love one another like I have loved you. My mind went to all the other commandments, right? Like the Sermon on the Mount. 
do unto others as I as as I as you want them to do unto, do unto you. And then you know don't you can't hate your brother. If you hate your brother, you're murdering them. And you know, all of these things. That, that's where my mind went. That if we want to remain in, in, in God's love, then we, then we have to look at all these commands. We have to become kind of pharisaical, and we keep, we keep the commands. But this time when I was reading through it, hopefully because I'm a little bit more spiritually mature, but that's yet to be determined, I made the connection. God showed me the connection, I should say. The command he's talking about, if you obey my command, is to love one another like he loves us. Now you read the text and you'll think, well, yeah, of course. That's what Jesus says right there. How could you not get that? Well, I just didn't get it at the time. I wasn't ready for it, I guess. But he says here, if you you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed the Father's commandments and remain in his love, this I command. So if we want to know how to remain in Christ and dwell in Christ and be attached to the vine so that the life of the vine is flowing up through our lives and producing fruit, how we do it is by obeying this command that Jesus gave, love each other. In fact, it's so important that he says it three or four times in these six verses from verse 9 through verse 17. He reiterates it. This is the command. You want to remain in me, Obey this command. Love one another as I have loved you. It's the command that he had just taught in chapter 13. Now keep all of that in mind, and I want to go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Where does love come from? God. So it's his love that comes from him and flows through us. So when we love one another, that love is coming from God. And he's going to explain that. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So if we're not loving one another, John would say, well, you don't know God because that's what God is. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So there is what love is, according to John. It's that God sent his beloved son into the world who died on the cross as atonement for our sins. Dear friends... Since God so loved us, underline that word so, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. Underline that word lives. And his love is made complete in us. Underline that word complete. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. Underline that phrase, live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. 
Underline that phrase, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Here comes another underline. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete. Underline the word complete. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, I would highlight that, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I would highlight that word perfect. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So we've already talked about this love. It's called agape. This is agape love, unconditional love. Love without conditions. It's the love that comes from God and then is supposed to flow through us in Christian community and out into the non-believing world around us. If we don't know love, then we don't actually know God because God is love. So if we're not loving one another, we're not, we aren't in, in God's kingdom. We're not knowing him. We're not letting his love flow through us. So God is not an idea, a concept, or an entity that we simply must agree with. Like a lot of us do, we try to rationalize and think, well, God exists, and here's the argument I can make for God's existence. He does exist. You can make arguments that, that, make, that make it easier to see that he exists. It's hard to conclusively prove that God exists. That's why it requires faith. But God is not an idea that we have to wrap our minds around. God is love. And just like love, we can know what love is by defining the terms and, and looking at what, what, what it means to love. But we don't really know love until we are experiencing it, right? We don't know love until we're giving and receiving it. And according to John and God inspiring John, love is something that has to be shown. Not just known, but shown. Love has to be shown. That's what, that's what John says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God showed his love for us in this way, that, he, that love cost God something incredible. It cost God the most precious thing that he had, his son. So when God is showing his love, he's giving it at great cost, the greatest personal cost to God by sending his son. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son to be the atonement for our sins. So God is love, but it wasn't until God gave his love away that we received his love and experienced his love through Christ. 
People in the Old Testament experienced the love of God through relationship with God, but not nearly as often as we have the opportunity to experience it now thanks to Christ and the Holy Spirit. Love isn't love until we give it away. Our culture focuses on love and we put all of our emphasis on the love that we're supposed to feel and receive from other people. But according to God, actual love is love that you give away, not love that you receive. Regardless of whether or not the other will receive or is open to receiving our love. Right? We love when we give love and we extend love and we sacrifice ourselves for others because we love them. And we do this whether or not they will receive our sacrifice of love. Right? Jesus didn't give his love with a contingency. He didn't say, yes, Father, I will offer my life as a sacrifice if you can guarantee that everyone on earth will believe in me because I sacrificed my life for them. Jesus didn't give his life with the expectation that he would receive the faith of believers in return because it's not a contract. Unconditional love is love that is given without conditions. So he gave his love knowing in advance that much of humanity would reject his sacrifice. So love requires sacrifice. Love is something we give whether or not it's going to be received. And since God so loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. That word so, I told you to highlight or underline. Since God so loved us, it's the same word that's used in John 3.16. So, since God so loved us, the word means in this manner. And I've preached a sermon a couple of times now here called, What is Your So? What is the manner in which you are going to love others? The manner that Jesus loved us was by dying on the cross for us. That was his so. That was how he loved us. What is our so? And I love this verse, and we're going to wrap up here pretty quick. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, what does that sound like John is saying? No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... What does that sound like John would be arguing? What was that? That's what God looks like. Now, the closest we will ever come to seeing God this side of eternity is in our love for one another. And if we love one another, God's presence dwells in our midst. Those words that I had you underline, God lives in us, we live in him and he in us, God lives in them and they in God, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. That's the same word that was used in John chapter 15 for abide, remain, dwell. 
So John is making the same argument. How we dwell in, in God is by loving one another. So we dwell. We, we know that we dwell in him because he's given us his spirit. That's what John says. Anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah dwells in God. Whoever lives in love dwells in God and God dwells in them. This is how we are made complete, lacking nothing, having confidence for the day of judgment. Dwelling in God, which means loving one another unconditionally and sacrificially, is how we are made complete or perfected. That's how it's, how it's translated. Twice in this passage it's translated complete and then twice it's translated perfect. It's the same word. We are made complete, lacking nothing, when we love one another sacrificially. So what gives us confidence to stand before the judgment of God is that we see the love of God flowing through our lives into the lives of one another in a sacrificial, unconditional way. So when John says, in this world we are like Jesus, We are like Jesus in this world because he laid down his life for the sins of all humanity. And they will know that we are Christians by the way that we love one another. They'll know that we're disciples of Christ by the way that we love one another. In this world, we are like Jesus. We are the living embodiment of God's love. Verse 20, the end of this section here. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. If we can't love one another who we can put a hand on a shoulder and we can give a hug to, then how can we love God who is invisible? But when we're loving, we're attached to the vine. We're, we're in the vine and God's love is flowing through us. And we're like those clonal colony trees that, that we're, they're just spreading incessantly. They just keep pushing out further and further. And no matter how far out it goes... In this world, we are like Jesus. If we're in the vine and God's love is flowing through us as we're attached to the vine, then in this world, we are like Jesus and his love is flowing through our lives as we're remaining and abiding and dwelling in him and we love one another like Christ loved us. And those who dwell in him produce fruit, fruit that will last, the NIV translates it, or remain or dwell. Fruit that abides. You know, there's something interesting about fruit that you might not know. I find it very interesting, but I find weird things interesting, like the brain and fruit trees. But, you know, there was a conspiracy theory going around for a while that um, if you bought an apple tree, for, or an apple from the store, and you took that seed and you planted that seed, that, that it would grow a tree, but it wouldn't grow an apple tree because it's GMO, genetic, genetically modified organism. It, it won't produce an apple tree. That's not true. So when a fruit tree grows, if the fruit is the fruit of the branch, 
But the seed is the fruit of the rootstock. So most apple trees, most fruit trees, are grafted onto a different rootstock. So they use, they use different kinds of rootstock for different things. You know, if you're getting a home tree, if you want a dwarf or a semi-dwarf tree, you, know, you want a tree that doesn't grow as fast so you don't have to go crazy pruning it every single year. So you get a, a dwarf or a semi-dwarf tree so you can get some fresh apples, but you, it's not going to be this huge behemoth of a tree. Well, they take, they take an apple branch and they graft it onto a rootstock that doesn't grow as aggressively as a standard, it's what it's called, a standard apple tree. So they'll graft it onto a tree that grows slower so that it's not as vigorous. But like for a lot of orchards, orchards they'll, graft, they'll graft a branch onto a more vigorous rootstock so the tree grows faster and bigger so they can produce more fruit. So the tree produces the fruit of the branch that's grafted onto the rootstock. That's what the apple is. But the, the seed inside the apple is the seed from the rootstock. I think that's incredible. That's at least a really incredible illustration for us because we will grow and we will produce fruit and it'll be the fruit out of our lives and it will look like the fruit that we're producing in our lives as we love one another and we'll love one another in different ways and God has gifted all of us with the gifts of the Spirit to love one another in really incredible, astounding ways and you can read through those lists in 1 Corinthians and, and, and we love one another uniquely so the fruit looks like it's our fruit but the seed inside the fruit is the fruit of the love of God, which will grow up in that person and produce more fruit of the kingdom of God. So this, this love that we're, we're giving that looks like it's our love actually has the seed of God's love because we're grafted into the vine and it's his love that flows through us. It's his love that we're producing in the world. This is how... Love is made complete, perfected among us by letting the love of God flow through us as we love one another. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, whoever does not is a liar, whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he gives us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. All brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all of the world, throughout all of history, and into all years in the future, regardless of whether or not we believe and agree with their politics, with their theology, with their stance on Scripture, or all of those things, we are still, through God, supposed to love one another as Christ loved us because it's our love for one another that exemplifies to the world that we are actually his disciples. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Agape love always shows that it's love by what it does. Agape love shows that it's love by what it does. Agape unconditional love involves faithfulness, commitment, 
and an act of the will, we decide to love. We love others with agape love, whether they're fellow believers like John uh, 13, or even when they're bitter enemies like Matthew 5.44, we love others. And it doesn't come naturally because of our fallen nature, we're incapable of producing such a love. But if we're going to love like God loves, agape love can only come from the source. This is the love that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us when we became his children, Romans 5.5 and Galatians 5.22. We love because God first loved us and that love flows through us as we love one another unconditionally and sacrificially. And that is why Easter is so amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. I pray, pray that you help me. Help me love sacrificially and unconditionally. Draw attention in my, in my mind and my life this week when I, when I tend to drift into selfish, self-seeking, self-serving, trying to get love from others so that I can feel good about myself, ways and habits. And Father, help me in those moments to turn and give love sacrificially, to lay down my life, to lay down what I think I'm entitled to, to lay down what I think are my rights, to surrender those completely and wholly so that I may let your love flow through me and that love may abound among us. I pray that we as a church, as a community, would be known by that kind of a radical love, that there would just be such a deep sense of unconditional love among us that, that the world outside looks on us and says, why? Why do you love each other that way? Why don't you walk away? Why don't you give up? And we say, because God loved me in this way, And while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. God sent his son to love me when I had done nothing to deserve it. So I love others, regardless of whether or not they deserve it or they're willing to receive it. I still give it. Help us to be that kind of church, that kind of people through whom your love flows without restriction and reservation, but that it just flows from the root all the way through to the fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.